0: Thank <laughs> you. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor. And I am very happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Miss Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. Now, last month we were on hiatus, so our June 21st show was an encore presentation of an interview I had with author and speaker Bernard N. Lee Jr. Bernard is the author of A Look Back in Time, Memoir of a Military Kid in the 50s, Volumes 1 and 2. His books can be found at Amazon.com and at other fine book retailers. Make sure you connect with Bernard at his website, www.bernardleejr.com. JR, that is to say, dot com. That's B E R N A R D L E E J R dot com. If you missed the show, you can still listen in. You can find our complete show archives, including the June twenty first show, at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast dot com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is an important message for the kids, but it's not just for the kids. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the genius is common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now we are back with another great interview and I am delighted to introduce this week's guest, Candace Jones is an attorney at law in my new home state of California. But get those stuffy images and greedy stereotypes out of your head. Candace became an attorney to help people and she's here to help you. Too many people don't know how much the little things can make all the difference in their lives. Sometimes you just need a friendly neighbor with some helpful insight. And that's why she calls herself the attorney next door. Calling herself the attorney next door has been a long time coming. Candace believes law school doesn't teach lawyers how to help people. It teaches them how to think from different perspectives, see issues from multiple vantage points and argue different positions. Law school teaches lawyers how to research the law and apply it to different fact patterns, but it doesn't teach how to make these skills and services affordable and accessible to the general population. That's what Candace is all about. So I would like to welcome, Candace Jones, too, somewhere in the middle with Michelle Burard. Candace, thank you
1: so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's great to be uh, talking with you today. Well, I am
0: really excited because um, I have not had anyone who does what you do on the show. So this is really exciting. And as you know, um, I do ask two questions to start off my interviews. Mm-hmm. So if you're all set, we'll get started. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get started. Okay. So my questions for you are, Candace Jones, who are you and how did you become who you are
1: today? Absolutely. Sure. So um, obviously you've been saying my name. My name is Candace Jones and I'm an attorney. Um, I practice family law um, dependency, which is where Child Protective Services is involved and concerned about the safety of the kids in the home. I do guardianships and adoptions. And so as you can tell, I actually really uh, focus my practice a lot around kids. Um, It's really important to me that as an attorney, uh, I'm not only fighting for my client, but I'm helping my client to understand and see the bigger picture about how our decisions impact the people around us that we love the most. And so we have to, even in the heat of the moment and in really difficult situations and emotional situations, try to see the big picture see how our choices are impacting our kids um, and and the generations around us so and to come after us so um, that's why i do that's what i do i got started on that it probably started um, quite some time ago uh, when i was about 12 years old or so and i was babysitting these kids and um, they were actually kids whose parents were being um, Uh, they were in therapy for domestic violence and the kids kind of told me about what they saw and, and, and what they heard. And the fact that, you know, they were hiding under the table and that really impacted me in that moment. And, um, I always knew that I really wanted to help those types of situations and and help the kids, um, kind of get through that. And so I, I eventually just found myself in, in with law and I figure, um, and it, 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 with law, it's, it's not just, you know, obviously we do the motions and we do the research and we do the briefs and we go to court, but a lot of it also is, you know, what's the strategy? How can I help this client get from a painful situation to a better situation? And how do I, um, you know, help the, that family move forward? Wow. So I
0: am really floored because, you know, anytime you think about children in difficult situations like that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, obviously this is your area of expertise, so you see more clients are in that situation than, than not.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: my question would be from a statistical standpoint, what do you think, or are, are, are you aware of the statistics as far as percentages of children who are growing up in homes with domestic violence and these types of situations that would benefit from someone like
1: you?
2: Helping
1: them. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, subjectively it does feel like more often than not. But the question also really wants begs the definition of what is domestic violence, because a lot of times we we limit it to the hitting or the pushing and the shoving. Um, but a lot of times what I'm seeing the more I practice is that there's an emotional side of it that even I think at this stage the courts don't always recognize about the um you know, the, the pulling, you know, the alienation of, of parents and the games they might play on their kids to, to make them choose them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all, I mean, so when you factor that in, it just, it feels like it's everywhere um, on top of the, the physical and um, abuse that can occur. So there's all, I mean, there's all kinds of domestic violence and really uh, domestic violence comes down to the concept of manipulation and control. And so to the degree that someone is manipulating another person's feelings so that they have the control and they're getting their own way um, to the detriment of the other person, then, then you, have a, you have a history or you have a situation of domestic violence, and that needs to be addressed. Um, but again, I think in the court system, that's not always the forefront. It really is, OK, did somebody uh, commit um, an act of physical assault or harass or stalk someone? Um, I say where I practice, I'm in Los Angeles, and I primarily practice in north count north of L.A. County, which deals a lot with Lancaster and Palmdale and the Antelope Valley. And the statistics that I've heard regarding our court system is that we have one of the highest um, filings for domestic violence petitions in the county of Los Angeles. So I'm in the in the middle of one of the higher uh, filing. Uh, counties or uh, higher filing cities and in, in areas that I'm aware of. So like I said, it, it feels like all over. Um, I don't have specific stats about, you know, what's going on. I do know that like one in four children are abused sexually, um, things like that, but I don't have a specific stat on domestic violence as we sit here today.
0: Okay. You just threw out a stat that I was not aware of, about one in four children is sexually abused. And is that nationwide or is that LA County. What kind of, what kind of numbers are we looking at here?
1: Yeah, I, that's my understanding. And actually I should clarify, I I believe it's one in four women are sexually abused. And I believe that's nationwide in uh, the United States. Wow. I will say that um, most children that are sexually abused are sexually abused by someone they know. So it's a relative or a family friend or something like that. It's not, you know, although trafficking is also a problem, um, it's not always the stranger. A lot of times it's it's people that they know or another kid that's you know been inappropriately touched and then they they replicate that. So um, it's usually close to home. Wow. I'm I'm almost speechless. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I am so sorry, yeah, they they're not fun facts to kind of really think about all the time and, and they're hard things to talk about too. Um, And, you know, talking about just helping parents just be aware, you know, even being aware that this is happening because, you know, you talk about good touch or bad touch with your, you know, you want to talk about, have those conversations with your kids so they know it's not okay for anyone to touch you in certain places. And if, and if you're uncomfortable, no matter what, even if it's just a hug, you know, not forcing the, you know, children to do things that are are uncomfortable and kind of helping establish those boundaries, but also balancing that with respect, right? Because we still need to respect adults and things like that. So it's hard to parent these days.
0: Yeah, parenting is probably the most challenging and most rewarding job I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Well, I was thinking, um, I want to go back to what you said about manipulation and control, because I think Mm -hmm. that that's really a challenging aspect, not just for the courts, but also for people who are in these uh, situations, Mm -hmm. because I think it's hard to identify if you are in an abusive relationship, if you don't recognize that component. And case in point, I was talking with a young lady at the yoga studio that I I go to, and she was telling me about her breakup with her boyfriend, and Mm -hmm. it was a little traumatic for her. And she said, well, I probably should have known mm-hmm. that there were issues because yeah. he was very controlling. And, you know, for him, I think the controlling factor was um, financial. Like he never mm-hmm. wanted her to spend Absolutely. any money. Right. You know, no, you can't, we can't go out and eat. You can't right. spend any money, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so what kinds of things do you think that, and I'm saying women because just because women oftentimes are very... um Sure very we're promoted as the folks who, who experience this but i also under, understand that men can be in in abusive relationships as well
1: yes, yes so
0: what kinds of things should folks be looking for
1: yeah and i think it's great that you mentioned the men too because you know just in my practice it it, it seems i think that the the stereotype is right and that there's a lot of domestic violence for men too it's just unreported mm-hmm. but you know when i hear guys stories just as when i hear women's stories you know, I'm really hearing and seeing that manipulation and control um, on their end. But a lot of times it kind of gets pushed under the rug because they're the man or because, you know, um, maybe just attributing it to, um, you know, their personality and not really taking things as seriously as, as they should. But yeah, so there's definitely red flags. And, you know, um, I go to teach, not teach, but share uh, my experience with like high schoolers at least like once a year, like for a career day. And a lot of times I'm telling them, you know, when you're looking at relationships that are healthy, the que- the number one question is, are you healthy first? Like, are you in the relationship because you feel like you need it? Or are you in it because you feel like this is a great partnership and you're growing as a person with this other individual? Like, that's the number one sign. Or, like, are you growing? Are you stuck? Do you feel limited? Um, because that's kind of the sign of any relationship, healthy um, relationship where it's friendship or dating um, or marriage. And so you kind of want to look at yourself first and look like, why am I investing in this? Is it because I'm lonely or is it because I really feel like this can take me somewhere and I'm giving as much as I'm receiving, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then if we look at that, then you can start putting boundaries in place uh, based on the SAS relationship. Cause sometimes there are just giving relationships like mentorship where you are just giving and, and that, and those are okay as long as you understand your role and you are comfortable in that role. Um, but it, a lot of times, I think we're 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 just lonely, and so we're compromising in ways to keep company around, and those ways are ultimately harmful to ourselves. And that becomes where the manipulation control comes in because we're so lonely, you know. And they threaten like nobody else is gonna love you. You know, I've heard that a lot. I mean, no one else is gonna be there for you. You know, I'm the only one you have, and so you start becoming dependent on that person because then you start to believe that, like you know, and it's it's never true. Um, and then you have like the financial things where they want to start, um, controlling all the money or, and limiting your access to it or the, the opposite, completely using you for money, you know, that, that can happen too. So, I mean, it's just, um, there's so much, right. Right. Cause it all comes down to manipulation control. So to the degree that you are operating the way somebody else wants you to, um, in a way that you're uncomfortable with, and you don't feel like you can express that, then there's a problem in that relationship.
0: And I think the expression is one of the keys, right? If you don't feel like you can talk about it, you don't feel like right. you can address it, that's a right. big
1: red flag, isn't it? It's, I, I, yeah, it's huge because again, uh, there's probably, you know, no relationship is perfect, right? So, so sometimes there's gonna be something, hey, that didn't make me comfortable, hey. But then if you have that conversation, then it's thrown back in your face and it's your fault, like they didn't do anything wrong, then, yeah, then that's really where the problems are when you can't work through issues and you can't work through problems. Mm -hmm. Well, and one
0: of the issues that I, you know, experienced at one point was blatantly being lied to in my face. Mm. Um, And I considered that a really huge red flag that we cannot fix things in the relationship because if there's a problem and I try to talk with you about it, and then you lie right. repeatedly right. <laughs> right. about something that you know that I know the truth about, that's almost like, it's like um, playing mind games, right? Oh, absolutely. Gaslighting.
1: Absolutely, is what- yeah, completely flipping the script on you, and again, it's always your fault, nothing's my fault, you're crazy, you know, you're imagining stuff. Right. That's and- the real dangerous one when they start trying to, to distort your reality. And then you think, am I crazy? Like, did I see this? I know I saw this, you know, and you, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things
0: that I um, have heard, and I don't know if you've seen this um, because you're, as an attorney, you're probably dealing more with um, adults, I would imagine in terms (laughs) of relationships, but I am hearing that younger and younger girls in Mm -hmm. particular are are being abused in their relationships like in high school their dating relationships is that something that you have any knowledge of or experience with
1: I mean I, I don't have direct knowledge I do represent kids sometimes I haven't what I see mostly in relation to that is I, I see a lot of young girls um, I think the pressure of social media mm-hmm. and so they are you know inappropriate gestures, inappropriate, clean, trying to get the attention, trying to get the likes through social media. So that's, I think, kind of a ripple effect mm. uh, that, that I definitely see um, young teenage girls facing because they want to be liked. In the, and, and so this seems to be the way to do it because, you know, social media in general, I think we, we've, we've highlighted that and we've encouraged that in a way that young girls think that, oh, this is the way to get the attention and this is the way to, to be loved, essentially so is
0: that becoming um an issue in terms of um child welfare cases that end up with attorneys or in courts how how
1: yeah kids are presenting themselves or being presented on social media i see that more of an issue in the family law courts with like divorce and custody issues Uh because the parents are you know either one parent's more conservative than the other and one parent may not see the problem, or one parent parent may encourage it, and the other parent doesn't. So there's a values issue that kind of comes into play, mm-hmm. um, and more in the family law courts, and in the dependency courts, um, it can be there, but usually that's one of there's there's usually more pressing issues about safety or um, abuse that's has occurred that are trying to solve first before they get to the underlying issue. Okay, uh, a lot of times that's more of a in, in that situation, it's more of a collateral effects of being abused or being neglected uh and so those the abuse or the neglect would need to be addressed first before you know they you know even begin to solve the other problems that come along with that gotcha
0: well and now i'm curious because i don't know the demographic of of the area that you're working in Mm -hmm. or the socioeconomic levels in those areas but one thing that uh, a friend of mine in orange county Mm -hmm. brought to me some time ago was uh, the influence of money Mm. in these kinds of cases. And in fact, another young lady I was talking to, she's going through a divorce. And her ex has significantly more money than she does. And she's had a really hard time getting her concerns about the way he handles their daughter addressed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so is there an issue with that with with the way these these cases can be handled depending on on the money that's involved yeah um
1: i I wouldn't say it's like a direct uh impact but it's huge in terms of uh the way it it, the way that people like you said get their concerns across or addressed right because Mm -hmm. Most attorneys are going to bill at an, private attorneys, OK? So mm-hmm. in the court system, in the dependency court st- system, you're appointed a court-appointed attorney um, if you can't afford a private attorney. So like I would say 90% of those folks have a court-appointed attorney, um, and a handful have a private attorney. So court-appointed attorneys, I mean, I tell people you know, the great thing about them is they're in that courtroom every day. So they understand the judge. They understand what arguments are going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and they know how to negotiate because they're dealing with those attorneys um, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, The con is that they might be overworked and they might have too many cases um, where they might not be able to give the attention that they want to to every single case. And so in those situations, uh, if you have the private attorney, then you can get the the attention, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And make sure that all those details are, are being addressed And they also have more time to reach out to maybe the social worker or the the department or whoever else and, or subpoena people, they might have more time to get to those issues than a court appointed attorney might. And that depends. It's not like across the board. That's just kind of an overall generalization. Um, in private, uh, in family law, you're not appointed attorney. So either you're, you're doing it yourself Mm -hmm. and that's tough because, uh, like I tell people, you know, it's like learning a foreign language, you know, A lot of times I see people that are representing themselves in court and they're trying to address an issue to the judge and and they're like, let's say it's the custody or visitation, like, hey, I haven't seen my kid in two months and the other parent is not letting me see them. And unfortunately for, for that person, all that's on calendar is, is what's called a trial setting conference or in the space of the administrative, like, mm-hmm. are you ready for the next date? Are you ready to go to trial? And so the judge is going to say, I can't even begin to deal with that issue because it's not before me. And so that person didn't realize they need to file the paperwork and serve the other party and right. get the court date and do that stuff to even have their issue heard. And so that's one of the challenges of representing yourself. Um, If you have an attorney um, and, you know, you're paying them large, like, again, attorneys bill based on the hour. So if you've, most of them, I do a lot of flat fees because I see this problem a lot. Um, But for the traditional attorney that's billing by the hour, let's say they ask for a $3,000 retainer and their hourly rate's $300 an hour. Well, that's 10 hours of work. And so once that 10 hours of work is done, they're going to ask for another $3,000. Right. And so that's tough to keep up with. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're not paying them or um, they, you know, you're not current, then they might not be able to give you the attention that they need because there's the payments aren't current. So yeah, money definitely does play a factor in all these situations, unfortunately um, more than you would want it to.
0: And that, of course, then can negatively impact things depending on
1: mm-hmm. on w- what side the child is on. Absolutely, and then it's not even it's not even just the attorney and the fees. For example, um, when you get into like these alienation cases where one parent is, you know, again manipulating through just the mind of the the child um, to sway them there one way or the other, to even get someone to begin to address that. Well, attorneys aren't mental health professionals or neither, and neither are the judges. So mm-hmm. now you got to hire somebody, you know, perhaps on top of your attorney to do some type of in-depth analysis and come to court and testify. And that's an easy $5,000, <laughs> like just like the, the assessments that are private like that, you know, they start around 3000 and will quickly go up to, to $10,000 if, if there's a lot of acrimony and testimony going on. Wow. So, again, to even begin to address an issue like that. And so I've seen a lot of um, people not be able to address that issue. And and, in essence, they kind of almost lose their relationship with their child uh, because they're not able to fix that mental abuse. And it's just, it's awful. Well, what kinds
0: of things would you recommend to someone who is in a relationship they need to get out of because mm-hmm. of abuse or something like that, and they have kids. What kinds of things would you recommend to them in terms of that process as it relates to the kids?
1: Yeah, I would definitely, number one, um, I think the first step is to make sure that they're, they control the communication they have the other party. I, I, I find that people in that situation are in a kind of a desperate mindset where they're still trying to preserve um that relationship or and so they probably give more information than they should that ends up backfiring on them and they almost give away like their plans so uh, the first thing is almost to get like somehow and it might it's hard to do that in the middle of that relationship so somehow to get a break where you can get some type of perspective and get a game plan um so you so you know okay look this is the problem in the relationship. You know, they're narcissistic, they're controlling, they're manipulative, they're, they're whatever. And this is what I, and, you know, if, if you're not right, if you're not sure if you're wanting to leave yet, then, okay, then you need to talk to um, I recommend definitely talking to somebody about this, if not a therapist, some type of wise counsel. Um, but okay. If, if this is the problem, in the relationship, you need them to address it. Right. And they need to, it needs to be fixed. If you're seeing that they're the type of person that's not going to fix that, then you you have to make your choice and you have to figure out, okay, um, I'm going, I have to exit this relationship somehow, some way. And then you start thinking about how to do that. Um, And a lot of times, like I said, people kind of just do these kind of rash things. Uh, And if if it's physical abuse, yeah, I'm not saying to stay in that. Uh, any longer than necessary and actually nothing necessary you should leave right away but if it's kind of the manipulation thing you might have a little bit more time to kind of strategize and think through like make sure you grab financial documents and make sure you know where the bank accounts are before you cut off that relationship because once it's cut off you know yes as attorneys we can do discovery and we can find it but that gets super expensive really Mm -hmm. quick so if you can make sure you have you know, some certain financial documents in order, you have an idea of what the assets are and, you know, what the debts are, um, and then have a game plan for, you know, what you're gonna do with the kids. The more you can kind of have a plan and then execute it, the, the better, um, instead of kind of, and like I said, I, I have no fault on this because it is extremely emotional, so, but if you're asking me what you can do, it's to kind of sit down, take a breath and think about a plan uh, versus kind of shooting at the hip.
0: Well, and that's really important, um, particularly if you are the person who earns less or doesn't, or stay-at-home parent. Correct. Um, Because another thing that I hear is about the hiding of assets. Right. Um, And that's pretty common, actually, is what I've heard.
1: Is that something that you've run across in your in your career? You know, everyone's on alert about that because I, I have a lot of people that have that concern. Usually when I dig, um, I haven't found a ton of hidden assets. You know, I haven't found the Swiss bank account or um, some offshore account. Um, so I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that that's happening to most people um, because, you know, middle class, lower, lower middle class, middle class folks, you know, they really just have the nine to five job. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not a ton. So, I mean, that's probably more of an issue if you're in a higher economic class Mm -hmm. uh, where there is that money to, to invest and move around. Um, but you know, if, if they're working, you know, a a W2 job, there's, there's not a ton that can be hidden, um, most of the time. So, um, what, what would be the process
0: if you've, if, if you did find out that someone were possibly hiding assets, what would be the process that you would use to try and uh, ascertain? You know, because I mean, there are different ways that you can hide assets, right? You could put in the name of a relative and uh, hide it in in another company, particularly if you do things like maybe have rental properties and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And so that's what I said. That's more like, Hire, like if most most folks have like one house, one mortgage, mm-hmm. got together twenty years. A lot of times you have an idea. So if if there is, um, like I said, a little bit more assets, a little bit more wealth to to deal with, then you go through discovery, and so, um, and you have subpoenas. So to the degree that you're aware that they might have a bank account at Chase, uh, then you can subpoena Chase and ask for their records. If Um, you're aware that they might, if you're aware that uh, there's a house that they put in the name of a family member so that it would be put away, then you can subpoena the records. Um, Those are public records in terms of um, the the line of of property. And so there's, there are, yeah, there's lots of ways to kind of get that information, but you have to kind of know where to start because if you don't don't even know that house existed ever, then, you know, that's, I I don't know that you're going to find that out. It's not like, there's a genie that says, "Hey, there's there's a house <laughs> that's over there that that exists. Right. And you should go after it." So you, you at least have to know that exists, and that's what I was saying. You know, before you leave, if possible, um, get a, get somehow a better idea of those finances and those properties. So at least you know where to, that something exists and that you need to look for it. Because um, if you don't even know to look for it, then you know it's going to be really tough. The only thing I can say is that if that did happen and you completely missed it and the divorce is finalized, there is duty to disclosure. And so the, the courts are pretty strong about the whole um, disclosure process throughout the divorce. And if you find out there was a hidden asset after the divorce is finalized, you can go back and ask for half. Um, and actually you can ask for the whole thing because they lied about it. Oh, so wow. um, so there, there are protections in the law for things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that that's the norm. Gotcha. Um, yeah.
0: So what... Um- What kinds of things do you recommend in terms of maybe trying to keep your relationship together? If you feel like you can come to a place of forgiveness or or at least you want to try,
1: are there certain things that you would recommend? Yeah. And I always tell people because like it's not, the grass is not greener on the other side. So either way you go, it's going to be hard work. And so the question is, where do you want to put in that hard work? And so if you guys are both, and that's the question, are they, are both parties willing to change and make adjustments for the other? And if both parties can honestly say yes. And, and that, you know, I see that too, where one party's like, yeah, I want to change. And, I, and the other party's like, not even, not even in that same book anymore. They, they left, they left the book, let mm-hmm. alone the same page or chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, both parties had to be committed to the idea and committed to the idea of working on the relationship. And so if that's the case, And I definitely recommend counseling. Um, Somebody that's neutral, somebody that you, preferably that you both don't know, you know, so you can kind of start off on a fresh page. Um, But to the degree you can't afford the counseling, you know, if there's somebody that's respected, like, you know, clergy or somebody like that, um, definitely that's also a great option. But yeah, you have to sit down and you have to talk about it. And then you have to put in work and they usually give you homework assignments. So you got to put in the work. And and see where you can go. Um, maybe you do need boundaries uh, initially, and then working back towards that trust and and restoring things back. So um, that's just the best thing to do. You got to sit down. And you got to talk about. It, you got to put in work. Like there's no there's no like magic wand, and you can't just wake up in the morning and be like everything's gonna be fine today. Like if there's no work, and I say a lot with the domestic violence too. Like that you know if it gets to the point where there's someone has pushed or shoved you need to take a step back and you need to breathe and you need to have space. And then you need to, again, address that. Like you can't just be like, Oh, it didn't happen. Or I'll let it pass this time. Cause that's usually what I hear from domestic violence with victims. Yeah. It happened one time, but I was like, well, maybe he had a bad day or she had a bad day and I didn't want to, you know, and then you get into that conversation, you get into that mindset. No, no. If somebody has um, is upset enough, and or whatever enough to lay hands on you in a, in a negative way or, or a harsh way that has to be addressed and that has to be fixed and if they're not willing to address or fix it that is like the ultimate red flag and then you have to look at your choices from there
0: well and what about if if children are involved particularly in an abusive relationship if mm-hmm. if the if the parents decide they want to try and work things out right what kinds of things do you recommend that they do for or with the children as yeah. they're working through their process
1: again it keeps coming back to plan I, I, there's no like cookie cutter answer mm-hmm. um i would again yeah it comes back to discussing it openly and honestly and preferably with a third party that can help you have the right perspective Because the thing I think that we assume as adults is that kids just don't know or they're not aware. And they're probably more in tune with our emotions than we are, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. They'll come like, mommy, are you sad today? Or daddy, did you have a bad day? You know, you just have a look on your face. So they're more aware of the modes of our relationships than probably we are. And and they're more in tune with that. So they're being hurt before you are, quite frankly, and, and probably worse ways than you are. And so in terms of, watching out for the kids, you know, that's the number one reason why it has to be addressed and has to be addressed early. So they don't think it's okay. And so, um, they see, you know, the proper way to handle abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people particularly because, uh, child protective services and, you know, and, is very, can be, can be pretty conservative and can be, you know, super on, uh, alert because of, because these issues are quite frankly getting bigger and happening more often. And so they have to kind of, I guess, lay down the law um, in their own way. Although that's a, you know, different conversation, right. but you know, whatever the case may be, they're going to be pretty tough. And so if there's been any type of physical altercation, especially to the point where police have been called or um, somebody's gone to the hospital or third parties have gotten involved to intervene in your um physical issues or uh, um, assault, then you definitely, I would definitely have one party leave the house. Absolutely, because of the investigation that will likely ensue. Mm -hmm. And so you need to show that there's space. If you continue to reside together without having anyone done any type of counseling, no domestic violence classes, no acknowledgement of the issues, and you just kind of keep going and then you start investigating, they're going to. They're more like. And again, there's no cookie cutter answer. Like I'm not saying this is happens every single time, but it is more likely that they will try to detain the children in a situation where the parties are still together with unaddressed issues than they are if the parties have separated and have a plan of action. Gotcha. Okay,
0: and that makes sense because yeah. they would perceive that as a potentially dangerous situation. Right. They want to err on the side of caution for the kids. Right. So you call yourself the attorney next door. Yeah, I do. What does that mean? I come to you and say, Candace, I've got this situation. What does the attorney next door do that another attorney may not?
1: Sure. Yeah, I came to that conclusion because, um, or that name, because I recognize, number one, how hard it is for people to even begin to ask for help. And there's this uh, persona of attorneys that we're, you know, just, I guess, above um, or or sitting on a high horse, you know, and we're not approachable and it's hard to talk to us and we don't listen. Um, And so the attorney next door is really coming down off that horse and saying, no, look, I'm a real person, just like you. Um, Let's talk about the situation. It's going to be okay. Let's figure out how to move forward um, with your situation. So that's, that's where that name comes from It's really just coming from a point of, look, I'm right next door, stop on by, let's have a cup of coffee, let's chat and figure it out versus, you know, come to my office and I will, you know, pay me, pay me lots of money and I'll, you know, genie <laughs> your way out of your right. problem. Um, it's really coming from a different approach that, that I take um, with, with my clients and with my practice.
0: And so if folks need your help, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they can go online to www.theattorneynextdoor.com. Also Facebook, same name, theattorneynextdoor.com. And yeah, they'll be able to find me, uh, or 661-622-3000 is my office number.
0: And I'm presuming if, if folks need someone like you, but they're not in, uh, California or, or LA in particular, uh, maybe there are other attorneys that you network with that maybe you can help refer them to or maybe
1: something like that? Yeah, anyone that calls, we definitely try to point them in the right direction if we can't provide direct help. Uh, so, yeah, I'm only licensed in California. I can only give help in, in the state of California. Um, and like you said, preferably LA County, um, although I have gone to to, to North uh, California for, for a case or two. Um but yeah, we definitely try to put point people in the right direction and, and give them at least like I said the next step forward because that's the hardest thing is you know having a problem and not having any idea how to solve it. And that's what I really try to do, even in my free consultations. I have fifteen minutes free consultation, like look, let's, let's at least see what the problem is and get you moving in the right direction, whether I can help you or not.
0: And if somebody wants to book one of those consultations, do you just go to your website? Absolutely.
1: Yep. Awesome.
0: Well, Candace Jones, thank you so, so, so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. It -hmm. has been very informative and very helpful. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, no, it's been my pleasure and I really appreciate you extending the invitation.
0: So we're gonna take a short break for an announcement and then we'll be back with True Talk with our good friend, Julia Black. I know building a website can be intimidating, but you need a place where your audience can connect with you. Instead of fighting with technology, try the easiest, most flexible website builder available. With templates for all types of websites ranging from landing pages to e-commerce, Urban Book Editor's platform makes creating an author website quick and easy. Just add a section, upload your photos and videos, type your text, and you're in business. It couldn't be easier. And if you signed up for an annual plan, you can get 10% off the first year. Just use discount code FIRSTYEAR, that's one Y E A R. the number one Y E A R in all caps. Take advantage of the 14-day free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website from the menu bar at the top of the page. No more struggling with technology. No more paying a small fortune to developers. Create beautiful websites without learning to code. Spend more time writing and less time worrying about your website. Just go to urbanbookeditor.com and select create your author website. You'll see how easy it is to build a great website to showcase your work. Go to urbanbookeditor.com and select create your author website today. And we are back with True Talk, and I have Julia Black with me. Hi, Julia. Hi, how are you? I am so, so well. How about you?
2: I'm doing really well, thanks.
0: Awesome, awesome. So you and I were talking about uh, some of the challenges, particularly when you're leaving a relationship, but not just when you're leaving a relationship, but developing what I would call a plan, a financial plan. Um, I hate to say for worst case scenarios, but yeah, kind of for worst case scenarios, right?
2: Yeah, but it doesn't have to just be for worst case scenarios. And we're talking about different financial plans that you would talk to with, say, um, a retirement planner. Um, it's more kind of specific stuff that has to do with your daily life. Um, a plan, you know, what? A plan for um, your daily finances to make sure that you can cover everything if something happens to a partner um, or if something catastrophic happens and all of a sudden you have a bigger expense, um, stuff like that. Yeah, and I think it's really, well,
0: I mean, we're talking about it in some ways in relation to leaving a relationship, but this is really important in general because let's say um, you're in a relationship and your partner gets sick. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's less common. Well, I want to say it's less common. Now, I don't know the numbers on this, but I still know women and the same could go for a guy, obviously, but I still know women who really didn't know the state of their finances in their marriage until things going started going tits up, you know? <laughs> no,
2: no, and no. And I, I know I know plenty of people that are that were in the same situation where they had no idea. They just trusted that their partner was handling everything. Um And, uh, and even if they were handling everything, that's all fine and good. And even if they're trustworthy and they were, they maintained their trustworthiness and everything was fine. But if they get into a really bad accident, say, God forbid, if they get into a really bad accident and they handled all the finances, then all of a sudden no one can pay the mortgage. Um, no one knows how to access the bank accounts. Um, and all of that stuff is really difficult because there just wasn't that discussion, it was just i don't I don't want to handle finances, I'm going to let that person do it and and it's not my it's not my chore well,
0: and that I mean we've heard in the past you know of folks getting divorced and then realizing they don't know how to manage money or they don't know how to pay certain bills and whatnot, but it even matters if you're in uh, some sort of relationship where where you're not married. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe you maintain certain things separate. Like I, I am a big proponent of having separate bank accounts. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I I think that way you just cut down on the stress and anxiety of trying to figure out how to manage money with someone else. Mm-hmm. You guys can have a joint account where you throw money in to throw pay but, things, yeah. but everybody keeps their own separate accounts. Mm-hmm. But if that's where most of the money's going, let's say if I'm you know getting direct deposit into my account and heaven forbid something happens and i get sick and that money is partially what's needed to cover the expenses Mm -hmm. that person still needs to have access to my stuff or someone someone does needs to have access to that stuff even if you don't want to give it to your partner for some reason like maybe they have you know gambling issues or they're compulsive shoppers you don't want them to have access to your direct maybe a sister a brother a parent you know cousin, an auntie, somebody, mm-hmm. uh, your lawyer, somebody yeah. should have access to be able to get in there and um, transfer funds or do stuff to help with that, your accountant, somebody. Not that I want you to give all your bank account information to strangers. I'm just kind of giving an example there, right? Right. Um, but I think that's really important. And I think it's easy to get caught up in, oh, well, I trust them and we have this wonderful relationship. If things turn sour, though, and I hate to say that because it sounds like you're like a negative Nelly, right? Or you're right. sowing the sort of seeds of of doubt. I'm not trying to get anybody to sow the seeds of doubt in their relationship. But you know, these days you kind of have to kind of you only have yourself to blame on a certain level if you're completely mm-hmm. unprepared for a, something weird to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if something does happen and things aren't working out for some reason, then what? You know what i mean you have to have a plan in place for that as well mm-hmm. it's good to have your own money have your own accounts yeah and to have some awareness of what's going on in that relationship mm-hmm. uh, financially
2: yeah exactly but at, but at the very least even even if you for whatever reason don't want to have two accounts um and that that's going to change depending on the on the on the on the couple Mm -hmm. um or the partnership but even if you don't both partners should should know and should have should have a very real understanding of how much money is generally coming in and how much money is generally going out for bills um and like we said have access to it right because Mm -hmm. if you do get into a car accident and it's a total loss and the insurance company doesn't pay you what the car is worth and you can't afford another car, then what? Um, you know, and that happens. I know a lot of people that that happens to, um, where it really is. They were, they were in an accident. Um, the car was totaled, the insurance company gave them $2,000 and it's not enough, um, to buy a new car that's reliable. Right. Um, that you know, so so those kinds of things you want to make sure that that every all of the main players in the household understand the finances, um, have access to it, and then if things are really tight, um, you know, kind of make a plan to make sure that there's a way to work around it that you have, what happens if you need, you have a blowout and you need a new tire or like, I just recently, I <laughs> can't believe I'm admitting this on the air, but I just recently got a ticket. Um, I was, I was ill and apparently I made a California, what we call it in California, a California stop through a stop sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a ticket and out the door to pay for the ticket cost me over $300. Oh, Oh,
0: Note to self, do not roll
2: through a stop sign. <laughs> Holy and, moly. And and it was I think the ticket itself was like 250 something dollars, but then if you knew that you were going to get traffic school to take it off, it was an extra 57 dollars above and beyond that to the county um so that they could eventually go through the process and take it off your record.
0: Wow. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, I
2: mean, these are things that you have to kind of think right. about, right? So, tires are really—I mean, t- new tires on a car, you know, costs five hundred to a thousand dollars, depending on what kind of tires you have. But something as simple as a ticket can cost you quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um. Well, so, and we know
0: that we know that because all the talk about Ferguson and you know right. that, that, you know a few years ago talking about how this is keeping people trapped in poverty that's actually a way of re- raising revenue, and that's why those tickets are so high
2: yeah you know? uh, absolutely, and so you know have the and these- and I know that that conversations about money are incredibly stressful, like they just are, but um you know, I think they're vitally important. Um, And the more that you talk about them in a way that doesn't, where there's no emotions involved, where there's no heightened emotions involved, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not after you get the ticket and everybody's upset that we have to pay this extra money and why were you going so fast? And why were you thinking? and, And all of that stuff comes in where you can calmly discuss, okay, if we do have something that comes up how are we going to pay for it and what is the plan?
0: Right. Well, and you know what I think is a good idea? I think it's a good idea to set aside, you know, one day a week if you get paid weekly or one day every two weeks if you get paid every two weeks or one day a month if you get paid mm-hmm. monthly to sit down, go over the bill, see what needs to be paid and actually do that together mm-hmm. at least for a while, so that you have, you know, and then periodically after that, you know, if you decide yeah. one person is, has got it and it's just efficient and, and, and can knock this out, great. But at least periodically then to do that so that both parties are aware of everything that's going on and also to make sure you are having that discussion on a regular basis so mm-hmm. that it is not when you're having an emergency or a crisis. So right. that, you know, you it becomes kind of part of your normal discourse.
2: Exactly. And you can find out way like there was, uh, I remember reading the blog post a long time ago. Um, It was on the website offbeathome.com. And it was somebody who had said that she and her partner had a really hard time. um, Every time they started talking about money, they had a really hard time and they had a hard time like not getting super defensive just because of their own backgrounds with money mm-hmm. and so they just created an email account and just emailed each other from that oh all of their stuff and did all of their stuff in writing and it meant that they didn't have to fight about it and they didn't ever have to talk about it in person and they could deal with their emotions separately but all of the communication still happened that's uh,
0: interesting that's and i thought
2: an it was approach i thought it was a really interesting way for them to solve the problem yeah um,
0: Because what's most important is that there's communication. Exactly. Doesn't matter how you make it happen. Just make it happen.
2: Just make sure that it happens. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think really the main, I think the main takeaways uh, from this are that you really want to know what's going on with the money, whether you're married, whether you're in a, a committed relationship or, or even to just, you know. To some extent I don't want to say just roommates but it does help for roommates to have yeah. an idea too because if you're in a hella expensive apartment in California for example <laughs>
2: uh, <What? laughs> yeah.
0: it would be helpful to know uh, so that if you know something happens wait what's what's going on maybe do I need to cover mm-hmm. this entire enormous rent myself right you know, to have an idea of where you guys stand but certainly if you're in a committed relationship, whether yeah. it's same-sex relationship or not, whether you're married or not, particularly mm-hmm. if you're not married, by the way, um, you really wanna know what's going on in terms of money, yeah. the bank accounts, bills that are due, uh, if you're in a house, mortgages, mm-hmm. um, life insurance, yes, and beneficiaries, things that nature, 401Ks, um, investment, accounts and any investment, real estate, for example. Yeah. And you want to make sure that if you don't have access to it, that some other reliable person does have access to it, someone who's not going to, you know, uh, let things fall by the wayside, who's right. make sure that, yes, the bills do get paid or, you know, yes, I'm going to be fair and, and open with you if mm-hmm. something turns for the worse, whether health-wise or, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think it's a red flag. I think it's a huge red flag if you kind of get, you know, dissed when you're asking these kinds of questions, when you, you know, if if your partner doesn't want to discuss these things with you and doesn't want to come up with some alternative solution for communicating like those folks who did the email Mm -hmm. and they don't want you to know anything about their finances, don't want you to know anything about what property you own and all that. If you're in a marriage or or some kind of committed relationship and your money is going to help build all that stuff up, um, are you relying on that person as a partner? Maybe kind of what we might call fifty-style housewife or house
2: husband. Right. Um, I think that's a red flag. Yeah, I think so too. And if and if the other person is saying no, we can't talk about it. I just don't worry about it, or they're brushing you off, or something like that. Um, then there needs to be, then there needs to be a discussion. So yeah, it's a red flag, but it needs to be a discussion. So then there has to be the why question. Okay, why? Um, and even and I would even venture to guess going back to the roommates because I thought your point about roommates was really was a really interesting one because there is a way to have these conversations without being specific. So you can have a conversation with a roommate about finances and finances for the household without giving specifics about what your um, about what your salary is so you so right. it can be something like what percentage of your salary is going towards the rent? What percentage of your salary is going towards the electricity? Um, And do you make commission or do you get a straight salary? Because that's important too. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if they get commission, then what are the slow months? What are the months that you're not making as much money? And do you have money? Will you keep money in reserves to be able to cover things? Or should I, or should we, does that mean that this is going to be an issue? Those kinds of conversations are fine without giving specifics about what your, sal- what, how much you were actually making.
0: Well, and you know what else for roommate situation? In, in the case of unmarried people who are roommates, right? Mm-hmm. They should make sure that a parent or a sibling or someone else that they trust has access to their stuff, because yes. let's say heaven forbid they did. Uh, young people don't tend to have, get sick as much, but maybe you, you heaven forbid you break your leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're in the hospital. I don't know. Right. you get into a car, know. you
2: get into a car accident right. by a drunk driver. there's plenty of there's plenty of right. kinds of things that happen exactly. So heaven forbid any of those things should
0: happen. Someone should be able to access your accounts and stuff like that to take care of your obligations mm-hmm. to the extent that they can while you're laid up,
2: mm-hmm. while
0: you're unable to do it yourself. And especially if it's something where you're not trying to leave that apartment, you know, hopefully you're just, maybe you're sick for just a little while and you're going back to your apartment, you need the rent paid, you need the, you know, you need the utilities paid, um, those obligations don't disappear just because something happened. And so that's something even for people who are um, unmarried, uh, just in roommate situations to think about. Mm-hmm. But particularly for um, married or, or living together folks, you know, in committed mm-hmm. relationships, they want to make sure they check with a financial planner Yes. Um, to maybe plan certain things out. And especially if they're going to buy property together and things of that nature, please, 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 check with a lawyer because the laws vary from state to state and so especially if you're in same-sex marriages or same-sex relationships sometimes the law is not on your side and you may need to actually draw up legal documents for the way that you all purchase the property to make sure that you don't lose out um if right. It should happen, heaven. Like I said, heaven forbid. Heaven
2: forbid. But I think
0: that into existence. But yeah, you know, that's that's something really important to make sure that you do talk with an attorney or someone to help you uh, with that piece, uh, particularly as you get into what I'll say are less liberal states, for lack of a better
1: term. Yeah,
2: but even in the liberal states, you know, there are Amer- America, American government. Um, is not the quickest in catching up to laws. So yeah, the Supreme Court said that um, that same sex partners can get married and that happens all around the country, but that doesn't mean that all of the laws in each of the states, doesn't mean that all of them are automatically updated. Right. Um, there are still, even, even in liberal states like California, um, there are still laws that have not been changed that still would, would look as if they are they're biased against same-sex couples, and whether or not it's a bias or it's just the law not catching up, we I don't I'm not going to comment on that. But not all of the laws have caught up to um, that particular ruling, and so that's that's important to keep in mind.
0: Very very important. Well, guys, I hope you um, develop a plan for yourself one way or another. Uh, Take it from me, I've known too many folks who haven't. In fact, I'll admit that I didn't first time out. So uh, <laughs> be, be aware that that can cause you a lot of challenges, and I encourage you to, to make sure you do that. Julia, thank you so much for being on True Talk.
2: Thanks for having me. I really like being here.
0: Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michellebarard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you guys tune into the show on July 26, 2019 when my guest will be educational consultant and author Andrew E. Guy. You can find us Twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.